CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. And welcome back to Rami Film Studio to record another episode of Haven's podcast, Measure Twice, Cut Once. How hey, are Jennifer, you, Mike? I'm fantastic. Uh, great to be back here. This is the final episode of season six. We've had some amazing conversation. Safe to say that we are ending today's conversation on a very high note. We are working with some amazing people, um, and we have an amazing, amazing industry professional here today, um, Zane Erickson, the owner of Zed Design or Zed Studio. Sorry, and uh, welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once. Thank you very much. I'm excited to have this guy on. I met him a few times years ago, and yeah. he's always the life of the party. <laughs> so I can't wait to get to know his design philosophy and talk about some of his projects. So for people that don't know you, uh, can you give us the little like origin story of Zane? The origin story of Zane. I, I grew up in northern Alberta, like an hour out of Grand Prairie, in a log house that my dad skidded with uh, a big cat from one property to a quarter section that my grandpa had given to my dad and mom to, to live. And so I grew up kind of in abject poverty, no running water. We had to like take like these old school milk jugs and go collect water from my grandpa's well, bring it back. And uh, I grew up chopping firewood, helping my dad build fences, uh, shooting a 22, like at four years old, like, I just, I grew up very different and I'd run out on the brush piles. Um, and I, I think part of why that relates is I just grew up fantasizing about all these beautiful houses we would see when we would drive to Vancouver on summer vacations. And I just like, I don't know, you just, you know, I have these memories of just like looking out the window, driving and seeing like mansion after mansion after mansion in West Van or, um, Crescent Beach and I would just oh I don't know I would just start dreaming about what would that be like growing up in a house like that and then a couple of years quite a few years later we moved uh to Abbotsford when I was 12 years old and uh grew up in Abbotsford um met my high school sweetheart then we got married uh have six beautiful children in Abbotsford. Oh, six. Yeah, yeah <laughs> six kids before we were 30 years old we had Okay, you're uh, braver than all of us put yeah. together. And how many siblings did you grow up with? I grew up with four siblings. Oh yeah. wow! Okay, wow. so or, you're no stranger. Sorry, three, three siblings. I was the oldest. I was the I was the first, and then uh, my wife grew up with, in a house with six with six kids. She was the <laughs> oldest of six. So uh, you know, it's the valley, right? They put stuff in the dirt out in the valley, so we just grow different up there. <laughs> as soon as you cross the bridge, right? It's just a whole different game. It's a different <laughs> vibe, that's for sure. Yeah. And so you you grew up in the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford and how did how did you go from looking at these houses to doing what you're doing was it part of your educational process or just a natural evolution yeah um i think the, like the first home i drew was in grade 3 we had this like project and i started drawing a house in section i just i wondered like what would happen if i just stacked all of the spaces on top of each other and threw a fireman's pole in and like a rope ladder and stuff like that i don't know like i was fascinated with how space kind of like played off each other and i was trying to imagine how all of these different parts of the house would work i took drafting in grade 10 in high school learned how to letter absolutely perfect uh line weight all those things and then 
um, I wanted to get married and my wonderful sweetheart, she also wanted to get married. And so I was at a job fair in, um, just in the end of grade 12 and I walked by this table and it was this wonderful man sitting there and he's like, well, you, you could draw houses for a living. And I was like, what? You you can draw houses for a living? Are you serious? He's like, yeah. And so uh, I signed up for a one-year course uh, out of the University of the Fraser Valley and did my course. They told me several times I should quit. Uh, drafting was not for me. I was way too out there. I didn't like the rules. I was non-compliant from the get-go. And um, That's why we like you, by the way. Well, Thank well, you, you were putting fireman poles in your home. I, so. I, I was, yeah. You right. just described my dream house, by the way. <laughs> Actually, we have a house right now that we're designing with a fireman's pole and like a six-story jungle gym. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah, like we're doing some wild stuff these days. But um, yeah, so I, I went to a one-year drafting program, came out. There was all this promise. There was going to be all this work, of course, and there wasn't any. And uh, my father-in-law called me up. And said, if you don't have a job by Friday, and this was a Monday, uh, you're not marrying my daughter. Wow. <laughs> so I uh, had a job drywalling on Friday. And I started doing all kinds of buildings around Vancouver here for over a year. Um, while I was still sending out resumes, trying to find somewhere to to get a job drawing something. At, at this point, I just, I would take any job that involved me sitting with a computer drawing stuff. I just wanted to draw. And so I ended up getting a job with uh, Westmark Consultants in North Vancouver. And uh, I started working on the Canada Place Pure Extension, drawing the concrete rebar. Uh, got to work on um, some bridge uh, seismic upgrades at Buckland and Taylor. And I just, I just enjoyed sitting down drawing things. It was, it was a, that's kind of how it all started for me. And even though you had to spend some time doing something that was not design related, doing drywalling, do you feel like that gave you a better understanding for when you did eventually get your foot in the design door? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, knowing knowing how to knowing how to build, or like the sequences that are involved in building, right? Uh, it really really helps when you're drawing to think about the trades and what they're going through. I actually I. On that segue, I stopped by a job site today and I was walking around and just looking at how the building was going and the uh, the low voltage tech, he was like, hey, who are you? I'm like, oh, I designed the building. My name is Zing. <laughs> and uh, he's like, can I can I talk to you about something? I'm like, yeah, sure, let's, let's go, what, what you got? He's like, could you please ask for there to be holes in your steel beams from now on? I just would love if there was a spot that I could run my LV wires through the steel beams. It would just be amazing. It would save me so much time. And you know, it's like the more you understand construction, the more those little things can kind of come into design. And yeah. I think that's great. Cause I think a lot of times people, when they graduate, they have this idea of getting their foot in their dream job in many different industries. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that sometimes it's a blessing to work another oh, job. Yeah in that same realm, that's actually gonna make you better at what you do down the road. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of other people in this industry and you know, we only meet people where they're at today. Many of us in this industry had lack of a long road to get here. And it's yep. awesome hearing the stories about how did you get 
you didn't just wake up one day and start designing these amazing houses. It was a lot of sacrifice and struggle that you had to make. But along the way, most of the best people in this industry had to go through that. And along the way, they picked up a great deal of skills as well that make them good at what they do. When when did you decide you wanted to do this full time by yourself, right? Because it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to do what I love and work for someone else. It's another thing to stick your neck out there and to go in business by your uh, on your own, right? Um, yep. What made you decide to do that, and what was that like for you? Hmm. That's a that's a fascinating question. I man, I created my own logo within three years of working for Mark Ankerman. Um, in Crescent Beach. So I think I was, I think I landed my first job working for an architect by the time I was 24, somewhere in there and worked for him for a couple, well, I was there for five years, but like two or three years in, there were these jobs already starting to filter through to me. And it was like, well, Zane, you want to work 18, 19 hour days all the time here, draw this gazebo for somebody. And so you know, I, I did a pool gazebo for one of the people that had walked into the office and Mark wasn't going to draw a gazebo for anybody, but I like, man, I worked on that gazebo. It was perfect. And little things just kind of just start to come up like that, right? Little renovation jobs, uh, drawing a deck for somebody here, there, uh, little tenant improvements. Like I, it didn't matter. I had six kids. My wife was a stay at home mom. I'm going to work 18 hours a day yep. and make this all happen right that's the it's the dream i think that where a lot of people are going after it's the you know it what fuels you what what's that passion and if you and if you connect with your passion uh it just starts to like really drive you and that little woman is man she's part of my passion so are my children and and it just like it's like rocket fuel, I think, sometimes behind me and underneath me, just like the family part that pushes me on. But I love designing. Like, it's so it's so fascinating to meet people. You know, if I go back to that gazebo, there was a pool. Like, they were just like, you know, it'd be so nice if we could just sit out here and enjoy, like, some iced tea or a drink or, you know, have my barbecue in the back. And I start asking questions. Well, what kind of barbecue? Like, what kind it's of like meat? Mike. Like, what? <laughs> like, what's this going to feel like? What's the vibe that you want? Like who, like, tell me more, like, and just started to learn that interview process for people where I know so much more about them than they were prepared for that I can draw it exactly the way they want it. And it it's just grown from there, I guess. Well, let's talk a little about that because one of the things I was always impressed by you is the type of questions you ask people. Let's talk about the type of questions you ask and you do things different than a lot of other people. So let's figure out how it works for you, the type of questions you ask, and what does knowing that information help you in regards to designing a better finished product for them? Right. Um, so I, I, I have a very, I, it's, I call it an empathetic design process where I interview people quite extensively. I ask questions like, um, what's the favorite place, what's your most favorite place you've ever been on on a vacation? What was it like? What's the, what's the moment you were there and you were like, this is the best day ever. And then I asked them to describe the environment they were in. I want to, because I want to understand what do you, what do you see as a person, right? So we could, we, I could ask for pretty pictures of houses, but that's going to tell me a little bit about what you see as pretty. If I start to understand why that was the best day ever, I'm going to really start to understand 
why your kitchen is going to be the best kitchen ever because those those um those highlight moments i find they transfer over onto different things so uh, i'll ask what what are you going to cook for your first meal in the new home i ask questions like because usually we're working with couples and uh with couples all i ask the question who's the life of the party and who's who's looking after people like just to really get a sense of like who they are and sometimes neither of them are life the party and both of them are the life the party it's always like this mix of like weaving of these personalities but somehow what i love is these personalities have come together and they're in a position to to build their dream house and so there's a lot of i don't know golden nuggets of information in asking questions like that and some people are so scared to get deep with their clients. And I love that you're not afraid to ask some different questions because sometimes it's very surface level when yeah. we look at design. But I love the fact that you're like, what was your favorite moment on vacation? I would have never thought about that. But if I think about a lot of the aesthetics I like are ones when I am in those resort hotels. Exactly. Like, okay. And, and if we talk about resort hotels, like everyone wants the deck off the master bedroom. And mm -hmm. I'm like, let me guess. You had a spectacular vacation. There was a deck off the unit. You sat there every day, had your coffee, and you want to recreate that. To which point most people say, yeah. And I'm like, right. But this is your house. You're probably going to go downstairs and get a coffee and walk out on the... Like, so I think it's it's understanding. It's, it's trying to find the much below the surface level, like you just said. Like, let's get deeper into why you want that. And... Uh, it's, it's fun to give people clarity. And then from that, what happens, why I ask these questions is because it gets people out of the box they've been in thinking about their home. Because when we're doing dream homes, we tend to like gather all of these pictures, we put them together, we walk through friends' houses, maybe we've gone to developers and seen something that somebody else is building. And then they kind of put those pieces together because they haven't done hundreds of homes they haven't like this hasn't been their passion of their life and so they have like a very not constrained idea but it but it's not it hasn't been expanded and so when i start asking these questions those walls start to fall down and we then we start sketching and we start sketching loose ideas and just on paper and like I give everybody Sharpies and I'm just like, I come on, like, let's just have some fun. Let's start like saying where things could be. And from that, we go straight to the computer and we start drawing it in 3D. We've got the VR glasses sitting there so they can throw them on and start walking in the space. It's just like, it's almost a little a bit like we all went back to third grade a little bit when I was drawing that first home. And we just say, what if? And, and it is amazing what comes out of those sessions with people. One of the things you said, and you've said this numerous times, is that soul is in every home. Can you talk about this? You're talking the soul of your clients. You're talking your soul and your creative process. Help us understand what you mean by that, because that's such a powerful quote. I, I think the home itself has a soul. Cool. Like, I don't know. That's, that's, it's, it's, well, there's huge <laughs> philosophy, right? Like sound waves itself, they say like they, they never stop. So if you could, if the walls could talk, they would, all of those sounds are still in the particles of the building. And so I, I find a home has a soul. And so like when we bring people through a process and I'll say this from, you know, the, the architectural drafting design 
to the interior design, to the energy consultant that works on it, the structural consultant, um, the excavator, every trade layers onto the soul of the home, how the builder organizes it, how he brings everybody together. It all starts layering up the soul of the home. And when clients walk into a, a building that has been built with care and attention, um, and each person involved in it has really like, really put their best foot forward. It's just a, it's just a feeling you have when you walk through the space. It's beautiful. Mm. You, you feel welcomed, you feel comfortable. It's, it's completely different than a building where you can tell there's been tension the whole time and people have been fighting. And it's like, you walk in, you're like, oh, it's beautiful, but mm, you know, something's missing. I don't know. Like, I don't know what it is. And so you know, we really, we really aim to have that feeling throughout the whole process where all of the information is given up front, right? Like, I think too many times we, and I'll say this just for the viewers, um, too many times we're, we're giving budgets out to people that aren't realistic. We're, we're, or, and I've, I've been guilty of this. I've drawn a home that I know people can't afford because I, it was early in my career Maybe not that they couldn't afford it, but it was like, I should have said, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to do that in your design and just do that from the very beginning. Give, give people the straight goods because all of these things, they all layer on to the soul of the home. Well, as human beings, we also don't like to disappoint people. No, we don't. And that's a hard thing. And I, your job has to be harder nowadays because we have so many things. We have social media. We've got Pinterest, which is part of that. Instagram, all underneath the social media bracket. And a lot of people probably bring you photos and stuff. And again, going back to your point, is it realistic, A, for your budget? Realistic for the climate, people don't think about. Some products are in certain areas around the world for a reason. Yep. And two, like a lot of people don't talk about lifestyle like i know mike you also have a lot of children you have more kids than him but uh stone and uh, different tiles and stuff there's certain ones that are good for pets or kids and there's a lot of things that people don't realize that go in like are are you guys going to be rough on your home well yeah. then here are some materials that are going to endure that yeah or is your home a showpiece to you do you do you and your partner walk around and clean everything like again do right. you clean a lot does it does it wear off when mm -hmm. you clean mm -hmm. yep. it, and it, and it goes into like, again, if we go back to that interview process, you know, if someone is a playboy and he wants a show, show home, that's a playboy home. I mean, I'm, I'm doing one right now that is like, it is mint. And he asked me to help him design his forever home. He's like, I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I just, I'm very successful. Do you have his number? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's like, don't see it as a bad thing at the no, moment. No, no, no. But it, like it, it was, you know, when you when you talk about like what's that, what is it going to be lived in, like, right? It, it's really that understanding of the person that you're working with, and and what's their, what are their goals for it, and you know, as you as you get seasoned and you get all of this wonderful gray everywhere, you you know, you you come along that process, and you're like, this is going to be awesome for you. This is where we're not going to go. That's not going to help. And, and those things, and they all contribute to the soul of the home and the whole experience. Yeah. I got a quick question for you. You know, we live in an era, like, like Jennifer said, where there's a lot of information at our fingertips, perhaps too much information. So, you know, I do this all the time. I call it dream building. I motivate myself to work harder by looking at the home I want to build. So what happens when I come to you and say, okay, here's all my Pinterest photos and everything else. These are homes that were built in the last few years, which means the designs were done two or three or four or five years ago. Correct. 
So how do you, A, tell them that this is already outdated, and B, more importantly, how do you design in advance of where we are right now so, number one, that home is timeless, and number two, it doesn't already look like it's aged by the time you've moved into it? Great question. The way I design is not based on a specific style. I think there's, so I was thinking about this today. I think there's three different ways you can have a home designed for you. I think there's the first way where you just go find someone to draw for you. We would call that like a drafting person. Um, and you just tell them everything you want in the home. You tell them where it to go and they just draft it for you, right? You can come with Pinterest with examples and away they go and they just draft it for you. And you as the homeowner have to be the creative director of that design. Then you can go to an architect, you know, someone with a lot of high education who's developed a specific style or like a general style they want to do. And you can be like, hey, I really like what you do. I would like you to design me a home. Please, this is the bedrooms and things I would like in it. And go do that. And, and they will do that. I'm somewhere here in the middle where I've, I've worked in high-end architecture. I've looked after a lot of beautiful people with some great architects. I've been the drafter who was told what to do for a really long time. And I'm come somewhere in the middle here where I think we start to interpret the actual couple that's going to live in the house. And so when you talk about style and fashion, I say, I'm going to interpret the people that are going to live in the home in a way where that home will always reflect who they are. And I think that is a, just a little bit more empathetic or holistic approach to design where it's not about style. It's not about fashion. Like, obviously I do enough work that I know not to make mistakes now. And I can, I can weave that philosophy of who they are into the home in a way where it's an expression of them. And that expression will continue to be beautiful because it's designed and built in a way that will always be unique. Excellent. Well, we want to get in some of the projects you've done and how you managed to figure them out. But we'd be remiss if we didn't take just a couple moments to quickly thank our podcast partners. So we're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. And then let's dig into these homes and, and talk a little bit more of some specifics. Sounds good. Measure Twice Cut Once is grateful to our podcast partners, Fortis BC, Vico Stone Canada Inc., and Trail Appliances. Support from our partners helps us share expert knowledge and resources with families looking to build, design, and renovate the home right for you. Vico Stone is renowned for providing exquisite quartz slabs, ideal for both kitchen countertops and vanities. Their extensive range caters to diverse preferences, offering everything from the versatile builder collection to the opulent and luxurious designs. Established as a reliable and preferred choice in the industry, they have earned the trust and admiration of local stone fabricators and interior designers. Trail Appliances makes everyday life better with the best selection in Western Canada. Hassle-free delivery and a price match guarantee, so you'll always get the best deal. Trail Appliances, make sure you'll love buying an appliance as much as you'll love using it. And we all need reliable and efficient equipment for better comfort, health, and safety of our homes. Whether you want to adopt some energy-saving habits or take on a major energy-efficient upgrade, no matter what your budget, Forest BC can help you save energy. Be sure to visit forestbc.com rebates, where you can also find amazing tips on low and no-cost ways to save energy, plus buying advice for energy-efficient products. Amazing. All right, Thank we're you. back uh, with Zane from Zed Studio. 
Um, now, we're going to talk about a couple projects, so we're going to go deep. But before we do that, there's a word in our business that starts with P, and it tends to make people a little bit frustrated at times because it can take some time to get a oh, permit. Yeah, I, our favorite. I wasn't sure. I was no, thinking. no, there's only one. Um, so anytime you're doing anything that's unique, anything yep. that's custom, there yep. could be challenges getting approval. Oh, yeah. So talk about maybe before we get into the projects, A, what it was like getting permitting for these projects, and B, this is a lesson in resiliency. How did you get around some of the challenges that you may have faced in order to get these projects done? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, I've got a little bit of philosophy here. One is my goal is to be best friends with every plan checker at every city that I ever work at. That's my position. I take the position of you are the authority. You have the final say. I can design around any obstacle you put in my way. Oh. That's that's me. I like it doesn't matter what the rules are, design will find a way. Do you get them to challenge you? Be like, give me the hardest thing for me to resolve right now. I I mean, <laughs> like I'm designing I designed a home on a 50% slope lot in Anmore at the moment. It's 14,000 square feet. It we're digging in the ground right now. And the challenges that have been coming our way throughout the process, it's like, well, we would like you to solve uh the contingency of, I don't know, something. And it's like, okay, all right. Fine. I'll I'll go out. I'll find the person that could give you the answer you want. We'll bring on a consultant if we need. And we've just we just layered it and we're digging. We're we're gonna get a permit soon and that's gonna be going. Um so it like I think I think where that question goes is there's a great example, the Gibson project. So that house was an existing home on like a knoll in in Abbotsford with an incredible view of the Fraser River, Mount Baker. Like the site is spectacular. Is your neighbor Chad Kruger? Because I know he lives out that way. <laughs> no, he lives on a different street. This this oh, was a, okay. this was another another. It was a beautiful family that had um, let go of the property. A new owner came on, and there was just like there was nowhere to expand the footprint at all. So, I I happened to get a hold of the head of planning at the city of Abbotsford, and I was like, hey. So we've got all these restrictions. The only thing I can do is cantilevers. And so I'm going to cantilever. He's like, oh, Zane. I'm like, come on. It's going to be beautiful. And so I started design. We designed with like these seven-foot cantilevers, steel beams coming out because I needed to get a little bit more space into the home so that we could like really capture like these beautiful views. And it's such a great example uh, of like how determination can result in something really beautiful because the house – almost didn't capture the views at all what was there previously and now there's like a 20 foot high ceiling with curtain wall slide clear doors just opens up to the river it's beautiful but i i had to go to the head of planning and be like hey this is what i designed it's a butterfly roof Ooh. i have i have left the footprint of the home alone but i've done these cantilevers to bring on extra area and so uh he took it through and they talked about it and they came back and they said, Zane, yeah, we're, we're going to let you do it. Just uh, give it, get us these couple reports just so, you know, we feel comfortable with, with what you're doing. And so we did, we went and got the geotech and wrote reports on the existing foundation and did some test holes and, you know, got everything done and they gave us a permit and it's a beautiful home. It's absolutely spectacular. And uh, it's turned out really well, but that's like, Design will, it's funny, design will find a way. Like if you, if you keep going at it, you'll find an answer or I, I keep going at it. I always find an answer and the city will come back and they say, there's no way. Like they're saying, there's just no way. I'm like, okay, why? 
give me, give me, the, I need, you can't say there's no way without a rule, your city, you have to, mm -hmm. you have to tell me the rule, you have to tell me why. And so they'll come back and tell me why. And then, and I just ask, okay, but what if this? Well, yeah. You've just illustrated a very valuable lesson. And it's one we've spoken about on past episodes and past seasons. When you're working with a professional, number one, you have to pick someone who knows how to get it done. But two, someone who has relationships mm. with people at whatever municipality you're doing the work in because it becomes a partnership. Yep. It can become adversarial and painful or it become a partnership. And like you said, becoming best friends with those people allowed you to have an open, clear line of communication and there was room for compromise and ultimately it facilitated getting this project done. Um, I have a very important question about this project. Was it named after the guitar? No. Okay. Just curious. Because the <laughs> no, first time I went no, to your actually, office, there was a bunch of guitars hanging yeah, on the wall. So yeah, it felt like it'd be a, a nice question, time. Though. That's a good question. What is the origin story of of the Gibson name? Oh, that's just the street it's on. Oh, so nothing fancy. Yeah, no. Actually, I mean, the wild story. I drove out down that street when I was like 25. I met the guy who owned that house. Um, and... I got talking to him and he was, and I was like, I would love to live on the street one day, which I do. And he said, you know what? If you want to live on the street, you're not going to the lake on the weekends. You're not screwing around. You're working nonstop. He's like, are you going to do that? And I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I live on that street. It's, it, it, it was a, such a small interaction. That's not who I did the rental for, but it was like, <laughs> it was, it was crazy then to be designing the renovation with some, on on that spot of of an interaction for myself like it was serendipitous i guess it was really cool so that's part of the origin story of that project that's part of the reason why i'm really proud of it it's it's really special to me these are also your neighbors yeah literally that's cool i love stories like that and uh, again i love how you said there if there's a will there's a way because we talked about it a little bit before but i want to ex know more about because what does it take to put an indoor jungle gym in someone's home oh. can you explain a little bit more that i don't know what kind of permits you need for that or oh anything. yeah i mean that yeah that that jungle gym is is pretty special um it's it's a three-story jungle gym. It's got a slide and all kinds of stuff going into it. There's there's alternative solutions involved in that project. It is, so it's inside. Yeah. Yeah, with a fireman's pole. There's a climbing wall. There's like a, a huge slide. It's a wild sign. It's, is it for kids or is it a grown-up jungle gym? Because I've, I've I, seen both you, in homes. You know, I, I think that really has to do with who is going to be there. And let's just be honest, the owner of that home will definitely go down that slide for sure. Yeah. I like the owner of that home. I'm already. assuming they have a family or is this the single guy we're talking about? It's a single guy. Oh, okay. Even I'm going to talk to you after. This <laughs> um, the other project that you were working on that I think is a really neat project is called the Hemlock Cabin. Now, I'm assuming it's a cabin based on the name. <laughs> and it's made of hemlock. But I also thought the other one was had to do with guitar. So yeah, can you talk no. a little about that one? And, yeah. and now that we're on this uh, rabbit hole of what's the name, how come it's called the Hemlock Cabin? Uh, it's because it's on Hemlock Mountain. And so it's just the Hemlock Cabin. But it, that mountain's changed its name to Sasquatch Mountain Resort now. Um, and uh, that home um, was actually like a professional relationship I had Um with a couple, uh, one of them was a well. Actually, they're both political um, individuals, and um, one of them was an interior designer that I'd worked with quite a bit as well. And so they came. They're like Zane, we just design our cabin for us. And this, I guess, things started to kind of when this one was happening. It was very much like, what could we do? 
like show us something like for us that's just wild and so uh, we got talking about how they wanted the snow to fall off the building. And I was like, well, we can just let this roof run. Like, let's just let it go. And we'll do a little like counter roof and we're over height. And uh, they're like, well, we could probably get a variance. And I don't know. Let's try. And so we, I don't know. I think we were like, I, we were five feet over height to get this, to let this roof like go all the way. And so we went to the board of variance and we're like, you know, if you tell really good stories, um, that are plausible. Let me, let me add that to that. If you tell plausible, really good stories, um, I, I find people are interested in seeing, seeing that be successful. And so we went to the board of variants, they approved it and, uh, it's built and it's the roof roofs are, you know, they got this really funky form and up on, up on that mountain, they will get 14 feet of snow where this house is. And so like the snow will actually go all the way up past the basement and up to the railings of the main floor. It's wild. And, and that home has like all of this industrial feels with it. Um, we were going to do glue lamb beams, but I think what was happening during construction was pricing was coming in. And so we looked at what's steel going to cost, what's wood going to cost. And steel was actually like a better choice. So they went with full steel and then they left it absolutely like non-painted. And so it's just like, some of it's rusting. It's got patina on it. Oh, you wow. touch the steel and it's just like, God, it's got all this character. And uh, I think it's just an expression of the couple. And they've both had really interesting life stories. And they like some of that like roughness because there's beauty in it. And so for them, it was just a really great expression of their individual characteristics in the home. Okay, this might be a dumb question, but if they get that much snow, like how does it not block their front door? Oh, because we designed the roof snow to all oh, fall okay. away from things, right? So it's like you you have to take those into account. And then you got snow machines and snow blowers. And I guess if you're things. having at that level, you've yeah. got. Yeah. Absolutely. Nobody's getting out there with a shovel themselves no, in the morning. Absolutely but... Unless you're in the doghouse, I guess. And then we actually did that home with ICF and all the way oh, to wow. the roof. Oh. And so all they need to heat it is one little kind of like pot belly wood stove. And they just get a fire going and the whole home is very comfortable and beautiful to stay in. One of the things I love about the luxury home market is that a lot of the things that we see there at that level eventually make their way down to a more reasonable home that more people are going to have access mm -hmm. to. And so we've seen that in so many different areas, whether it's like automations and home theaters or all sorts of other technology. What about either of these projects do you think is something that you did or that was used that we might expect to see in more modest homes in the future, right? What What's yeah. the next big thing that you see there that's going to make its way down to the rest of us? Well, I think with, you know, the province coming up to step code three, that you're going to see a lot more ICF construction happening. Um, I think it's a wonderful product and just the way the home can be built, very airtight, really comfortable. Um, I mean, when did I, I did my first ICF home tour, I think in 1999, 1998, somewhere, somewhere in there. And that technology I think has come a long ways and I've done several projects now with ICF to the roof and, uh, the homes are comfortable. They're quiet. Um, I would love to, a lot of builders are already using it for the foundation and I'm excited to see it just because with step code three, we have to design homes in a way that it's, there's less steps and things. 
and so it, it really makes sense, you know, if you're going to do a uh, really attractive looking rectangular home, do it with ICF. Just like take it. Okay. And before you go too yeah. much further on yeah. ICF, for our viewers, for our listeners who aren't familiar oh. with what ICF it's is. like Lego you, blocks because it, that's it, how, yeah. A little bit like Lego blocks, because yeah. we just used it to do a double basement. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, can you quickly explain how ICF works and where there's some advantages to that? Because I think this has implications for a lot of different types of construction, a lot of different levels. Yeah. So ICF stands for insulated concrete form. And so in order to pour concrete, we need to have something for the concrete to be in before it gets hard. And so ICF is a sandwich of styrofoam on two sides with these uh, plastic connectors that go in between that keep it rigid. And then you lay your rebar on all the plastic connectors pour the concrete in, wait for the concrete to set. And instead of having to like rip wood off and take it all off site, and you know, we have this whole process of traditional construction of bringing forms in, setting them up, pouring the concrete, taking the forms off, taking them away, uh, it just stays. And it is airtight because concrete doesn't really breathe. I mean, it kind of breathes, but not a lot. And they've got the styrofoam on the outside. So you've already got your exterior insulation, you've got your interior insulation, and then drywall and siding just get affixed right to it. So it's quite an efficient construction system. All right, I gotta go off on a bit of a tangent. Uh, when my parents built their dream house, they did ICF and they pour concrete. Now, each of the pieces of styrofoam had an R value of about seven. So the only way they would rate the house is R14, even though it was close to R70. Okay. Has that been rectified in ICF construction now? Is that part of the insulation or is that not considered, is that still not? Part of the mathematical no, equation. No, they, they've, they've done the math. Okay. Yeah. So what, compared to say a traditional home where we're using two by sixes, two by eights, two by twelves to build the home and, and traditional versus an ICF home, what's going to be more advantageous for me trying to build an energy efficient home? Because that's really what we're all going to be building in the next few years anyway, right? Well, yes, we are going to be building energy efficiency, but I think it's also about like, it's, it's, Obviously, the R values are higher. If I gave a number, I don't focus on the numbers exactly because I'm a little bit artistic. So, like, I, I have technical staff that, like, nail those things down. So I'll just defer that question. Um, but I think it is about hitting this goal of being energy efficient in a way that provides value to everybody who uses the system. And I think ICF is really great for that because y- you you put the wall up and then everybody can start moving pretty quick through and in terms of the technology and facilitating time. And I think this is, I think as we go towards energy efficiency, we have to look at how much time is being spent making the home energy efficient. And ICF really compresses time because it answers a lot of those questions. Like instead of doing like extra foam on the outside, we're, we're already done. It's, it, I think it just compresses time. And I think that's why it's going to come to the market more because um, the longer a home takes to be built, the more interest you're paying and the more construction, um, course of construction insurance you're paying. And and the list goes on and on. And so I think when we're looking at energy efficiency and compressing timelines with quality still being there, we're looking for solutions that solve those questions. And that's why I think ICF is good for me. There you go. It is a lot faster. Uh, I have a question for you because you've obviously designed many homes around the, over the years. What is the most unique one that not most designers do? Like what is something unique that you've designed that other people really haven't? Or people have walked into those homes and be like, oh, wow, Zane, you went that way. Yeah. Um, 
I was designing a home for a couple and I think it was the night before I was meeting with them and I had been scratching my brain trying to come up with a concept and just sat down with some trace paper and I just drew a circle and then I started taking like pie pieces out of that circle and just kind of like moving them 10 feet here, 10 feet there. And it just worked. And I was staring at it and I'm like, this is crazy. I don't know if they're going to like this, but let's see what happens. And so I went to their house the next day and I presented and they were looking at it and I had, I'd actually put it in VR as well. And they put the glasses on, they were like standing in the space, looking at it. And they were like, yes, yes, yes. It's a very, it's a very abstract home. Um, it's, it's really neat. They actually like added a whole indoor pool to it. So it, it, it's a hard home to capture because of how abstract it is, but they loved it. And I, I don't know, I love playing with shapes and things like that. So that one's, that one's pretty out there. Um, that, that, that I love steep slopes, like steep slope lots. I love playing with because you cannot impose your will on a slope. You have to look at the land. You have to let it talk to you. You have to, you have to look at where the sunlight is, where the trees are, and what everybody wants to have happen there. And you have to find ways to, well, I find ways to mold the home into the hill and, and allow what's there to inform what should be instead of just being like, no, we're just going to drop this on this hill. Um, and, and I find on the steep slope plots, you end up having very unique structures with multiple levels and uh they just tell a completely different story than like a flat lot so yeah well i could listen to you all day i just love all your ideas and uh thank you i feel like anything is possible with zane yeah i would i would say that that's a i like that that's your new tagline uh, for your business card. having seen examples <laughs> of your work i can concur it's design it's is fantastic possible. Hey, I got a quick question. It has nothing to do with these two particular projects, but this is the question I ask of everyone who's in that design space. How do you look at a space, whether it's a slope or a, or a building or anything else, and go, this is what we're going to do, right? Where does that creative spark come from? Is it just something undefinable from deep within? Or do you have a process or method to draw out that creativity to come up with these really rad results? Yeah, I have something that happens to me. I see images somewhere over here. I don't know. That's where my creative spot is for me. And I'll be staring at a space or I'll be drawing something and thinking. And then I'll start to see just an image somewhere over here. I don't know. That's how my creative brain works. And then I just start drawing that. And for the most part, whatever I see and draw, most people are like, wow, yeah, that's, we never would have thought that, but yes. Does music help you as well? Because that, that was the one thing, like when I first visited you for the yeah. first time, I looked around your office, I'm like, it looks like my living room. <laughs> and and so I knew I had a kindred spirit. But like, is that like a lot of us use music for creativity? Is that something you do? Or are you one of those people who needs to work in silence? Uh, no, no. I my, my, my wife would say I am neurodivergent. Um, and... I like a lot of stimulation. So yeah, I have, I have music going. I like people being around. I, uh, I honestly like the more stimulation, like, like people that are involved, the more creative I kind of get. I don't know what it is. It's like, I, I get into this zone of just like capacity or whatnot and, and things just make sense for me. It, is there a design that you have maybe kicking around somewhere in one of your drawers that your client never went with and you're like, I can't wait for one day to do this? 
Mm. And it doesn't have to be a full house. It could be like an element that maybe somebody didn't want to go for or something. You that gazebo that... you always wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, oh, that's a that's a that's a stunner of a question. We for can... the most part, the crazy ones have been built. Um, What's the craziest then besides some of the ones you've mentioned? <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, the jungle gym is a forty thousand square foot home. That one. If that, I, I will be really happy if that one gets built. It's, uh, yeah, that, that will be a special one if that one gets built out. Um, I like there's ideas that are there. Like I have this very abstract mid-century modern idea that's, you know, fueled by, um, the party, uh, where the floor disappears and there's the pool below and just the shapes in that home where all the furniture is kind of built into concrete and, I, yeah, that, 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 that home is something that's always been inside of me. I tried to capture it on that house with the circles and the, the different pieces that came out, but they didn't want to go for sunken living rooms and things like that. I love, I love sunken living rooms. I love sunken living rooms. Like we have a, we have an MCM home that's being done in Delta right now. That's got like a sunken living room and a couple different levels in it. It's, it's really neat. I love those little three-step transitions between spaces. They just... My grandpa had this house and it had pink carpet and a massive white grand piano and a sunken living room. He had like the leather cigar lounge, like all of that stuff. And it's just, it's those elements that like you walk into a room and you're just like, I'm dying. This is so cool. So for me, it's playing with circles, curves and built in furniture and conversational places. I think I think those are the things that are inside me that I'm always looking for someone like, are you that person that we can play? Can we play? And so some people love to play and then other people not so much. And so we just, I don't know. Yeah. That some would people, be my answer to that question. Some people want what they want and other people rely on great professionals. Do I have to ask you a very quick question? We don't need to know who, but you and I both have experience working with some, we'll say famous people in the public eye. How does the conversation go with them? And here's what I'm getting at is a lot of those folks are very private. They don't like to be asked a lot of questions and they really value their privacy. So how do you have a deep, deep conversation with somebody like that and still draw out the information you need without crossing a line in terms of asking too personal a question? I get them drunk. Okay. No, I'm joking. Well, maybe we shouldn't say that. But, <laughs> Season uh... seven brought to you by Hiram Walker. <laughs> um. You know, not everyone wants to go deep, right? And 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 that's just that's just part of personalities. And if you meet enough people in in your life, and you have the privilege of talking to some of these people that have like mm -hmm. wild experiences, um, you you can start to pick up on people's boundaries. I I've learned boundaries probably by making mistakes, which is I don't know. There's no like there's no manual for life. We all, we all like, we all figure it out as we go. Right. And so I think you, you make mistakes by going too far sometimes. And then you learn, you learn to pick up on cues of how far people want to go and how far they want to talk. I think one thing I've learned is by being comfortable with myself and aware of who I am. If someone only wants to go so far, that's okay. It, it doesn't impact who I am anymore. And I think in the early days, it used to impact who I was. But now I, I really like myself. Uh, I really love what I do. And if someone wants to work with me, then I think understanding who they are and valuing, you know, 
how far they're willing to come along that line is totally fine with me. So that's sort of my answer to that. Great advice, not just for construction and design, but for life as well. Who knew we were going to learn so many good life lessons? <laughs> uh, listen, Zane, we could talk all day, yeah, and we, we probably could. will one day, but today is not that day. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap it up. It has been so, so awesome and so much to learn. Um, we really appreciate you going through this and so many different lessons, whether it's to work with knowledgeable people who have local relationships or how people push the envelope. But uh, what an amazing conversation. What an inspiring conversation at the same time. Thank you. Perfect. And uh, I know you gave us a lot of tips, but if you could give us one more piece of wisdom, yeah. um, what would it be? Um, I think for, for the homeowners out there who are looking for, you know, doing a custom home or any level of home, in all honesty, uh, this is my best advice. Have the builder, have the interior designer, have your architect or designer, whichever way you choose to go there. Have everybody in the room when you're designing the house. Get that team together so that everybody understands the philosophy of the home from the beginning. And when you pull those professionals together and they are collaborating from a very early phase, you're going to have just an amazing process throughout. Love it. What a great yeah. way to wrap up a Absolutely. Six. What a what a high note to wrap up on as well. So much good information. And Zane, it's been absolutely an amazing conversation. Like there was ever going to be any doubt. But, boy. <laughs> uh, but before we go, we do have to take care of one important reminder for our viewers and our listeners. Um, listen to and enjoy this episode. And you already have if you're hearing this. But once you're done listening to and enjoying this episode, enter for your chance to win a brand new, beautiful Napoleon Prestige P500 stainless steel natural gas barbecue valued at over $1,500, compliments of our fantastic partner, podcast partners, Fortis BC. All you got to do to win this gorgeous barbecue is go to haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. And Mike will come set your barbecue up for you. <laughs> He will. Wow. He will, yeah. And, wow. and bring you some ribs. <laughs> I'm just selling your services for you. Absolutely. Well, it's, uh, I'll barbecue it's... lamb lollipops then. There we go. Yeah. He'll bring lamb. He'll bring whatever you want. Bison. Any cool. species you desire. <laughs> and for notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, including resources shared by Zane, go to haven.ca slash measure twice cut once. Thank you, Trail Appliances, Fortis BC, VicoStone Canada, and Ramey Films. And thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com.